Hello everyone, welcome to Hack and Tell with Arweave. In this episode, Arweave founder Sam Williams will be chatting with Tate Berenbaum. Tate is co-founder and project manager of Nestland. Enjoy the episode and don't forget to subscribe for future instalments. Hi everyone, um, thanks for joining. So this is the first edition of Hack and Tell. Um, this is a series that we're putting together to essentially connect people in the Arweave community to other founders um, that are using the protocol and the network to build exciting and interesting things. Um, we realized that we have this sort of um, community, I guess, connection that we that we largely moderate through, through Discord, but we don't have any kind of um, get-togethers as a community where we we seriously sit down and chat about ideas and discuss them in a pretty free-flowing way. So, yeah, um, we're going to have a, a short uh, conversation here, and then after that, we'll open it up um, to questions from the audience. So if you have ideas and thoughts as we go through this, just, just drop them in the chat, and then we'll get to them later. Um, yeah, and I'm very excited that our first guest this week is Tate, um, who is the founder of Nest.land and is also now starting to work on um, yes, a PST swapping mechanism for the other members of the community. So, um, yeah, I guess, Nate, oh, sorry, Tate, why don't you just, um, yeah, get us started by telling us kind of why you got interested in, in Arweave and how, um, how Nestland plays into that. And also perhaps a little background on Dino, which is kind of connected to this. Sure. So thanks everybody for having me. Um, so let's see here. I, I got into Arweave about a year ago. Um, I was pretty inactive for a bit, but when I got into it, I, I found out about Arweave because I clicked on a Brave ad um, and it took me to the website and I started reading about it. And I was like, wow, Arweave looks pretty neat because of the, the way that you can store data um, permanently um, and cheaply, of course. So uh, let's see here. So a new JavaScript runtime recently came out. It's called Dino. Um, it was made by the creator of Node, Ryan Dahl. And essentially, it, it has, it's very similar to Node, but it has quite a few notable differences. Um, one of which being the way that you can import um, packages into their um, runtime. So I should note, to begin with that um, Dino refers to packages as modules. So I'm going to use those interchangeably. Um, but okay. So the way that it works is instead of using a centralized service like NPM, um, their whole goal was preventing some sort of monopoly from, from capitalizing on this whole concept. Um, and, Ryan was not happy with the way that that node worked out because essentially nodes growth became dependent on NPM's growth um, and they became directly correlated. So he, he implemented this system that allows users to import modules from URLs. Um, and so about two or three months ago, I want to say um, one of my colleagues and co-founder of, of nest.land um, messaged me about Dino because he thought it was pretty interesting. Um, and so I looked into it and, and as soon as I saw that, I was like, wait a second, I'm, I clicked on this brave ad about a year ago. Um, 
that's that's boasting immutable URLs um, with data on those URLs. Um, so I was like, you know what? What what if we combine those two concepts and allow users to build and publish modules um, immutably? Um, and so that's kind of how the idea began. It started out as a weekend project, um, and 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 yeah, so. It's it's since then become a little bit more than that, but um, and essentially all it is is a front end with a CLI that allows users to publish modules um, to the Rweave Blockweave, um, and and yeah, that's that's the basics. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think so. I first heard about Dino when I saw the the blog post by Ryan announcing it, and I thought, huh. The, the the interesting thing about this programming language is you can just say import X from uh from and then a URL. And that's great, but but it, it just piggybacks everything on the fragility of the web was my first exactly. And then I was like, wow, I wish someone could go off and build a, a system that allows you to to load those things from Arweave. And then before I knew it, like you were doing that, and that was really incredible. So like I guess what was the like founding story? How did you find your uh, co founders and how did things like progress? Um, okay. So my co-founder, um, Oscar, he, he and I have been friends for, for about four years now. And a few years back, we, we got into doing these little weekend projects, um, where we would stop everything we're doing, pause the weekend. It was, it was something like a personal hackathon in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, it was just a personal goal to, to build something, um, and so we'd have it finished and released by Monday. And this was just another one of those projects. Um, but it turned out to be a bit more complicated than that. Um, and it took a bit more time and it, a one weekend project turned into like a four weekend project, um, <laughs> and spending time on it during the day each week. So the other people, um, so all of, all of the team currently goes to school. And so Oscar, um, had to take some time off due to school. He had to finish his schoolwork and get through exams. Um, and we were still really like dead set on releasing. So I had another friend that used to be a part of our weekend project groups. Um, his name was, well, he, he goes by an alias of blob to protect his identity. But, um, so, so we recruited blob on the, on the project and he was, he was working on it with us. And I think we, we ended up trying to write our API in Dino, but because of a, a bug that had to do with Dino itself, we had to completely rewrite the API. Um, and so that resulted in us having to start over. And so we, we built the API in Node um, in about three days because everyone was super excited once um, once Cedric from Arweave started, you know, reaching out and and talking to me and showing interest in the platform. Um, and so it was a it was a whole lot of encouragement that we were not used to. Um, and so we released it. Um, it was a three person team, and now. Um, since then, the Dino community has been extremely positive about everything. It, at first, it started with a bit of speculation, um, and that people didn't think that anything would come of it. Um, and I, 
there's a whole lot of skepticism about blockchain. Um, and it's something that we're trying to tackle head on because it's, I feel like it poses a whole lot more benefits than it does threats. Um, and so there, we convinced, we managed to convince some people. Um, and before we knew it, we, we were getting contributors that were just pushing pieces, um, new pieces and additions. Um, and so those people, we reached out to them and brought them on the team. And now we we have, I want to say we have 12 or 13 contributors and we've recruited four additional core team members, um, from those contributors. So, wow. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, I think the, the, the thing that has really surprised me, like in a really positive way, speaking to you as this journey has progressed is just how growth has gone um, inside the Dino community. Because when you first mentioned it to me, I was, my first thought was, wow, <laughs> that was an idea that I was like, I wish someone would, would go off and do that uh, just a few weeks ago. And suddenly it's here in front of us. That's incredible. And that, that's so cool to see. Um, and then, then my second thought was like, okay, cool. So this is a community of people that are technical in nature, but they're not necessarily like blockchain aware. And, and one of the problems that we've encountered before is, is when you're speaking to um, developers, they tend to be a fairly like skeptical group of people. And I think that's generally positive as a, as an attribute, but that it does mean that like we have to get over this little wall to show people like why the thing is valuable in the first place. And so, um, yeah, I guess maybe you could tell us a little bit about how that, how that journey has unfolded and also how much like, um, yeah, excitement from the Dino community you're seeing now. I think that's really incredible. Sure. So I think we really lucked out um, because when we when I had heard about Dino, they had just released or they were just about to release. It was very close. And and Dino has been under construction for two years or so, um, but it wasn't like public release official yet. Um, And so we got in and the community was very small. And, And for something like this, we wouldn't have been able to release it on, on a platform like node because node is already so well established and NPM is just, you know, there's no competing with that. They have over a million packages on their ecosystem. Um, and so with Dino, we were able to get into the discord community and just start talking about things. Um, and, and we did receive quite a bit of negative feedback just because of that skepticism. Um, but I, I think that once we released the site and, and we were able to list in bullet points, all of the advantages over, um, things that were centralized, people really began to realize that this was something that, that could have a long-term benefit on the whole Dino ecosystem. Um, and we've certainly found that a big, uh, let's a big hurdle to 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 get over is is making this blockchain technology um, accessible and understandable for for the average developer because for for this user experience is is a whole lot of um, it means a whole lot in in terms of doing things like this for developers. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's really interesting. So. Okay, so you started off, there was a lot of skepticism, and then how did things progress? I guess you say you released the site, 
But then how did you get those first users and what does growth look like now? Sure. So um, we released the site. We started with one module. It was our own module. It was our CLI. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and so I'm honestly not sure if, if this was actually allowed in the Dino community, but I, I started reaching out to people. Like I was finding these really cool Dino modules and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to message this person and see if they'd be interested because I think that we could both benefit from, from their, what they're doing and what we're doing. So it all started as me just um, direct messaging people talking about their, their modules and asking for more information and seeing if they'd be interested. Um, It was an extremely grassroots sort of marketing effort because their community was so small that it wouldn't have made sense to pay for all this advertising. Um, right. And, and so we, we, I, I think in the very beginning, we weren't really recording like the numbers of, of who was coming on and who was interested, but, but we eventually made a, a spreadsheet of, of that information because we wanted to just get some, some basic information about who was interested and and the the percentages of that. And I think that once we did that, we realized that about 80% of the people that I had reached out to that responded said that they were interested because of the, because of all the advantages. Um, And about, there were only about 10 to 20% of people that, that, didn't respond. And then 20% of people that just said, no, I'm not interested. Um, and since then we've actually received a couple people that, (laughs) that have told us no when we were small. And now that they see where we are now, they've reconsidered and they've become some of the most, I guess you could say influential members of our community because they're going out, like talking to people about the, the advantages that we have. Um, because they're really passionate about what we're doing. Yeah, that's fascinating. It, it definitely um, correlates with our with our own experience, really, in the the blockchain space. It's that these communities grow not not by marketing efforts per se, at least on the developer side, but mostly through developers talking to each other. When when the product does something really valuable for them, they end up magnifying that that um, yeah, magnifying the influence that it has in the wider world. And it's like this word of mouth thing that's really very, um, very powerful when you get it right. But of course it, it takes some time to bootstrap. So what's really amazing is that you guys have gone from, so you had like one, one module and now I think you're up to around 80. And, and the really cool thing is that the like official Dino uh, module registry, I think you were telling me the other day has about 800. Is that right? Uh, yes, that's, that is right. That's amazing. So you guys already got like 10% market share and you've only been going for like, you know, uh, a few weeks. So that's really incredible to see. I guess, are there any learnings you'd like to share with the rest of the community about um, how that process went, how you kind of honed your messaging, particularly as relates to this kind of blockchain or crypto related issue uh, for people outside of the crypto community or anything else for that matter? Um, Sure. So I think that... Like I mentioned before, we put a massive um, priority on user experience because it can very easily get become overcomplicated with all of the features and advantages and, and potential that blockchain has. 
sometimes I think we found that the key is not just putting all of that into one thing and just releasing it, but focusing on one specific thing and, and really maximizing the potential of it and making, making sure that it's understandable by a a general developer or a general target user, I should say. Um, yeah. And I also think that we, we found that in, in the past, when we've released these weekend projects, we used to expect these things to just take off and grow. And of course that, that never happened because that's not what, that's not reality. Um, and I think that this, this concept of, you know, being patient and, and not just trying to exhaust yourself right at release um, mm. is has really helped us continue these marketing efforts because it's really, it's our goal is just to get one or two modules a day, honestly. Like that's, it, that was our goal to begin with. And that's still our goal. It's, we're not focused on, you know, getting out there and growing super quick. Um, we just want to be able to, you know, grow at a good pace and, and figure out our, our challenges, our bugs and, and get those solved. And by the time that we're at a sufficient size, we can, you know, scale up our marketing efforts, of course, but that's completely reliant upon the size of Dino. So there's only so much that we're able to do at this point. Well, I think the strategy you guys are taking is extremely smart. Like, you're basically attaching yourself to something that has a very high likelihood of growth, and then you're making sure that you get a large um, market share while that project is small. It's <laughs> it's an exceptionally good idea, I think. Thank you. <laughs> and um, my expectation is that it, that strategy will play out well in practice. Um, yeah. Okay. So one of the things we've been thinking about a lot in the RWEB ecosystem recently is uh, founder and team incentivization. So we started with the idea of the open web about just over a year ago now. And we, we realized that essentially what the Rweave allows you to do and the PermaWeb allows you to do is to create software and distribute it to people and have each additional new member of that community or user of that piece of software not increase the cost for the developer. So this only makes sense, I think, when you contrast it with the centralized web, where you realize that essentially what happens is every new developer creates more costs, sorry, every new user creates more costs for the developer of the application. And subsequently, the uh, application developer is highly disincentivized to release that piece of code, that, that project that they built, um, for zero cost. Because otherwise, they're, they're just going to accrue the costs themselves. Um, and this, you know, obviously doesn't work. But, of course, one of the things the RWEV allows you to do is publish an application and have that application replicated and accessed by many people. And then new users to that application do not cost the developer more money. So we, we thought this was a really big opportunity to essentially bring the open source uh, development style and ecosystem to the web where it previously just had never existed. And um, we got very excited about this and we, we started working on the Open Web Hackathon, which was a way of bringing people into this kind of burgeoning ecosystem um, and building the first applications. And since that time, we think we've had you know 250 or 300 applications built on top of the network in this style. But we've kind of realized recently that this is great but in the non-crypto world, of course, you don't just have open source software development. You also have commercial software development. And we can, it's not like being open source and having uh, good, let's call them like uh, consumer-centric properties makes you incompatible with having a commercial side as well. 
doesn't have to be that way. Um, and then we, we started delving into this idea and, and working out what essentially eventually became profit sharing tokens. This idea that, okay, so you can release a piece of code that generates royalties each time someone uses your application. And then you can have those royalties sent to the owners of a token. And those would typically be the developer to begin with. But then that developer can sell uh, essentially parts of that royalty stream to other people that want it over a period of time. And, and that we think, yeah, essentially uh, creates better incentives for founders in the network to, to work on projects and to build really exciting tools that people actually want to use. Because, of course, now it's the exact inverse relationship. So instead of new users creating new cost streams for developers, they create new revenue streams for developers. Um, so we started speaking about this about a month ago now, I guess. Um, yeah, and, and as I understand, you're integrating a profit-sharing token into Nestland. So maybe you could tell us a bit about that. Um, sure. So right now, we are, we're currently working towards our MVP2, um, where we're hoping to, well, where we're planning to release profit-sharing tokens. Um, but essentially, um, that will in, include... Let's see. Okay, so developers right now are essentially, in order to streamline the user experience, for, for our MVP1, we, we're publishing all of the modules under our wallet address. Um, and this allows developers not have to, to not have to pay for um, transaction fees. Even though they're small, um, we just thought that it would be the easiest way to get... Um, community adoption that way um, because you know competitive competitors are currently free so to make ourselves compatible uh, well <laughs> uh, to make ourselves competitive we we released it free but now what we're planning on doing is allowing users optionally to upload modules underneath their own are we wallet addresses um, and so that'll allow a like technical ownership of your code because it's not under our wallet address anymore. Now it's under theirs. Um, and with that, we're planning to tack on a small um, transaction fee, which will go towards a PST. Um, and that will be distributed um, to the, to, to the founders and to the contributors. Um, and I think that it, we're still um, working out the specifics for this, but I think that right now, um, we would love to have a fund set aside for contributors. Um, and we'd love to build a system where you are rewarded each week proportional to the contributions that you've made to the platform. Um, oh, cool. So this would incentivize people to keep the project going, um, even when the maintainers might not be able to. Um, and so this this could really play in with a, with a DAO in terms of... Um, voting on additions and deletions of code and pull requests. Um, and this is still very, very experimental. Um, it's just a concept that we would love to be able to investigate further. Um, thanks to, you know, profit sharing tokens. Yeah. So I, I think what you touch on there, this idea of something that's maybe analogous to a decentralized GitHub, something that ecosystem desperately needs, not, <laughs> not just the RV ecosystem, but like crypto in general, it's, absolutely crazy that when you think about it, Bitcoin development takes place mostly on GitHub. And mm -hmm. GitHub is a centralized repository um, that is, is run by, by a corporation 
which controls who has access to it. For example, um, if I'm not mistaken, you can now not access GitHub from Iran because uh, GitHub is a, a U.S. corporation which has to abide by certain um, restrictions put in place by the U.S. government. And so, yeah, that, that centralization has a real effect on how code can be distributed. And perhaps, you know, one might argue around whether the code should be, like all open source code should be distributed in Iran or not. But what I think as a community we can largely agree upon is that it should not be a single centralized party's job to decide who can and cannot access the open source freely contributed creations of others. Um, yeah, so, so I think definitely something along the lines of a, a DAO governed um, GitHub replacement essentially would be a super fascinating thing to see on top of the network. And so, uh, and I also think that the, what you're talking about with like, um, it's almost like provenance as a feature for the upload of code. So, so you can have your own wallet which uploads the code and then everyone can be sure cryptographically that it was you that made that, um, that made that addition. Yeah, that, that's a really cool added feature. And it also, you, you touch on this kind of, I guess, freemium model that can be easily associated with that. And I think I've seen other people in the ecosystem, for example, Permasnap, I think was going to go the same way. Where this idea of like, you can try it for free with a shared wallet, but if you want to like become a pro user, essentially, you use your own wallet, and in doing so, you start paying a small tip to the profit sharing token um, holders. And I think that's a pretty fair way to play it, and I think that'll work out quite nicely in practice. Um, yeah, so I guess, is there anything else you'd, you'd like to talk to the community about while you're here? Um, I would probably just say that um, some of our biggest guidance and, and help has come from members of the Arweave team. So I would put an emphasis on if you have questions or ideas, I would certainly recommend talking to to you know anybody at Arweave about that because they're they're great. You know, they're they're always they've been here to help us whenever we've needed it. Um, and we really appreciate that. So thank you guys. Well, thank you very much. I mean, we, we exist as a core organization purely to help with the adoption of the protocol now, and you guys are doing truly amazing work on top of it. So it's an, there's no way we wouldn't be doing this. And I, I would say that actually the thing that excites me most about the community right now is, is how people are starting to help each other. You know, one of the amazing things we've seen over the last six months or so is the growth of the ARCA DAO. That started as this kind of small experiment where we gave it a little amount of seed funding and has grown and grown until they're now like, you know, running four or five different projects and they meet regularly and, and they're achieving real things in the ecosystem. Like now we have, um, Permadot online, an alternative gateway system that they, they just made that, um, initiative on their own and they helped each other until they managed to get it, it, it seeded and appropriately working is really quite incredible to see. So. As time goes on, it becomes less and less about the core Arweave team talking to, um, yes, the core Arweave team talking to members of the community and more about the community talking to each other and then growing it that way. Uh, we really just see ourselves as the bootstrap. And I think that process is well underway uh, by now. So that's really exciting to see. Anyway, um, yeah, I think unless I'm mistaken, uh, there were lots of interesting ideas in the chat here. So. Uh, one particularly is this idea of a decentralized um, container registry. That's that's super fascinating. It, it touches on the same stuff that you're talking about, Tate, with um, essentially decentralized code distribution 
except you know just at a larger scale i think there's sure. a whole there's there's a space there for like a whole bunch of different things to be built um yeah so that makes a lot of sense i think there's a lot of different ways that can go um okay well thank you very much for your time yeah, uh, of course yeah uh and thank you i think <laughs> of course next week we'll be talking to um solana who are starting to use arweave to store old parts of the uh, blockchain or the scalable blockchain that they're creating so that's really exciting tune in then thanks everyone thanks for listening if you'd like to learn more you can find information about both arweave and nestland in the description be sure to follow Arweave on social media for the next episode of Hack and Tell. See you on the Permaweb.